With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, everyone, to the Really Real Real Estate Podcast. Today, we celebrate 100 episodes of the Really Real Real Estate Podcast with a very special guest. On this episode, we talk to the president and CEO of Coldwell Banker, Ryan Gorman, about all things related to fair housing. My name is Lou Lombardi. Now, here's your host, Jason Wilcox. Lou, can you believe it? We have made it to 100 episodes. Yes. Yes. I, I actually, I, I knew, I knew we would do it. I, my, I had no, I had total faith in us. That makes one of us. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are very, very excited today, not just because it's 100 episodes, but because we have a very, very special guest on with us, president and CEO of Cobalt Banker, Ryan Gorman. And I don't want to talk too much because I want to get right into uh, talking with Ryan. Um, we're just so grateful that he's able to make time for us. And we're really excited to give our uh, listeners, though, just a real quick understanding of the magnitude of this guest. I want to give everyone just a quick rundown. So I work for Coldwell Banker in Metro Pittsburgh, and I work specifically out of the South Hills office. Now, we've had on this podcast before my branch manager, Milo Hyman. So in Metro Pittsburgh, I work out of the South Hills office. I answer to Milo Hyman, who's the branch manager. He answers to John Perry, who is the regional vice president of Coldwell Banker Metro Pittsburgh, who we've also had on the podcast John Perry answers to Joe King, who's the president and CEO of Colwell Banker, Ohio, Northern Kentucky, Southern Indiana, Pittsburgh, and Western Pennsylvania. Joe answers to Kate Rossi, who's the regional executive vice president of Colwell Banker, Eastern Regional. And she answers to Ryan Gorman, who's the president and CEO of Coldwell Banker. I think I have that mostly accurate. So essentially today, I am interviewing my boss's boss's boss is boss is boss. So no pressure. <laughs> Ryan, thank you so much for being on. How are you today? I am very well. That is an overly generous introduction. I do have one correction, actually. That. So that entire group, first of all, I think I work for all of them, but that entire group works for you. That's oh. the relationship that, that we have here. So you had it almost right, just backwards. <laughs> oh, thank you. And part of the reason why I started here with Goldwell Banker in 2016 and why I don't want to go anywhere, because that is the type of um, relationship and mindset uh, that I feel every day when I go into work and why I feel so privileged uh, to be a part of the Goldwell Banker family. And while despite my phone ringing off the hook and them <laughs> trying to recruit me elsewhere, uh, I have always said no, because I'm unbelievably happy with Goldwell Banker. Uh, well, thrilled to be your partner. And, uh, you know, the crew that you mentioned sets the bar pretty high. The fact that you get you get a dose of Milo every day is uh, that that puts you into a league uh, unto yourself. Uh, yeah, yes, it does. A unique leader in the organization. Uh, super cool guy. I'm happy to call him a friend. Yes, he is. Yes, I, I 100% agree with you. So, all right. So to dive right in, one of the things that we like to do with every one of our guests that come on is if you could just take a few seconds to introduce yourself and sure. your role within Coldwell Banker. I know we've kind of already touched upon sure. it, but if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I've been here with the company for, uh, I guess, since late 2004. Um, before that, I was uh, doing mostly investment banking, uh, fixed income trading, private equity stuff. I, I started out in uh, Silicon Valley, taking companies, public, uh, you know, technology firms. Uh, and since I've been here, I've worked in the the title insurance space, property management, insurance, mortgage, um, a handful of different areas, commercial brokerage. Uh, I still do real estate development and uh, here on the on the largely residential real estate sides where I get to have the most fun. Uh, I've been doing that for a while now. So Coldmaker's got uh, over 100,000 folks, uh, part of the family across a little more than 40 countries. Uh, America is where we were founded and San Francisco in 1906 on the principles of uh, honesty, integrity, and service. And we still live those every day. And uh, that's a big part of why I'm here. I love it. I love it. Now, I do have one super important question. If my research is correct, uh, you spent time at the Wharton School at uh, the University of Pennsylvania. Is that correct? That is right. My beloved Philadelphia. That's now, true. we are a podcast that's based out of Pittsburgh. So I have to ask, <laughs> is it the Steelers or the Eagles, the Flyers or the Penguins? How, how does yeah, that work here, it's, Ryan? Uh, it's definitely Philly sports. So my, my mother is a, a rabid, I mean, like dangerous level uh, Eagles fan. She's on a list somewhere with a secret service, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> so she's a very, very serious player. Uh, to give you an idea how serious uh, of an Eagles fan my mother is, uh, she lived in Florida and called me one day back in the year that the Eagles won the Super Bowl, and, and she called me uh, in maybe October and said, "Hey, they're going to—they're going all the way this year. I got to be home. You got to get me an apartment on the parade route." I'm like, "Ma, this is like they've literally never won since it's been called a Super Bowl. Like you're insane." But sure enough, I flew down there, drove her up, got her an apartment on the parade route, and uh, that you can see her in—in in, literally in the Philadelphia Inquirer the day after they won a picture of her at the parade. Uh, so that's how big of a fan she is. But I, I grew up going to all of them. My uncle was a scout for the Jets. And now our headquarters is next to the Jets training facility. So, uh, you know, kind of green and white, lots of different ways. <laughs> that is amazing. I feel like your mom and I would be best friends. That's awesome. Yeah. Just, that that just makes me love you and your family even more. <laughs> Fantastic. <It is> true. <laughs> so, okay. So we brought you on today because we want to talk fair housing. I know that is a big, um, that's a big point of interest for you. Um, in fact, actually, you know, kind of your love of it and your advocacy of it has caused me to want to learn more about it. It's become a passion of mine through you. And so that's what we wanted to talk today. Now, this particular podcast is designed for buyers, sellers, and investors. So we like to start at the 101 for anybody who may be new to this, maybe who doesn't spend the day-to-day -day life in the real estate world. So let's start with the basics, which is what is fair housing specifically, because we're going to be talking about it. What is the Fair Housing Act of 1968? Yeah, so essentially that was a law that, believe it or not, there, there was uh, actually law a hundred years prior to that, that essentially made uh, discrimination illegal in a number of different categories, but it persisted very significantly, especially a discrimination against African-Americans, but it was well beyond that as well. Right. Fair Housing Act of 1968 essentially codified with some pretty significant specificity exactly what kind of discrimination was illegal uh, related to housing. So for instance, uh, um, uh, marketing or selling a property to members of only one race, or it's not just race or other protected classes, but essentially race, um, charging more for a mortgage uh, for members of a certain race, not providing a mortgage to members of a certain race, essentially codified what Many people, when they learn about it, are surprised to know, you know, wasn't codified previously. Uh, there was actually legislation on the books, but it was not enforced and it provided some teeth for enforcement in a way that didn't exist prior. Right. And I think the big thing for you know people like me in 2022 going, wait, really? We, we actually had to put this into a law like this just yeah. wasn't basic common sense. And, and like, you know, it was it wasn't just already 
just happening because it shouldn't need to be a law, but that's just my own personal opinion. Yeah, no, I think I, I share that opinion. I think many, many do even more tragically, uh, we'll probably get to some of this, but uh, you know, how even today, uh, th this is not a, a thing of the past, unfortunately. Uh, so. I don't Unfortunately not. You are right. We are. We are going to get there. Um, so the, the next question I have is, um, I know one of the big things you're about is education and kind of understanding the history of fair housing, understanding the housing market in America, you know, for the last, you know, 50, 75, 100 years. I know we've uh, talked in email um, uh, off record as far as, you know, uh, education is a big thing in terms of reading up on fair housing. So I've kind of a two part question, which is for anybody interested in wanting to learn about fair housing, what books would you recommend to read? Um, what books did you find really helped you in your studies of understanding fair housing and kind of what we've gone through um, in America in the last hundred years? And then what was for the you the most shocking or one of the most shocking or surprising things mm. that you've learned about fair housing in our nation's history? Sure. Well, I, I definitely uh, went on a journey to read up and study and learn as much as I possibly could following uh, some, a, a Newsday is a, um, as a publication on Long Island and, and Newsday did an undercover investigation, um, I guess, a few years ago and turned up some, some really disturbing uh, trends uh, and, 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 and actions that were taken um, in, out on Long Island. And uh, by agents, by loan officers, other kinds of things. And uh, I actually testified before the uh, New York State Senate uh, subcommittee following that. And some of the questions they asked me on Long Island, they said, do you, know, do you understand the history of racism here on Long Island? Do you understand the housing-related racism? Which I had the high-level understanding. I you know, read, uh, read certain stories, read certain books, and saw allusions to things like Levittown. Uh, everyone knows, I think, Levittown's the sort of yeah. uh, first large-scale construction uh, center in the country. I knew that there were some um, racist deed restrictions that were placed in, in, in some of those homes, but I didn't really deeply understand it. And I was taken aback by some of the questions, so I went on a journey of education. The Color of Law is the yes. first book that I would recommend to everyone. We've got a little free library at the end of our street and it's always stocked with, uh, with those and some other books as well. And everyone who reads it comes back and tells me like, I had no, like I thought I knew, but I had no idea. Yes. I really didn't know. Yes. Um, and a, a couple of others I'll mention that we can get into some of the, the sort of more shocking facts. There, there are a lot of them that are really good. The Color of Law is excellent. The Color of Money, which talks more about the banking system, but also touches on the mortgage finance system uh, is another uh, very good one to read. One of the best sort of most personalized accounts is a book called Levittown. Uh, and it is actually not about the Levittown on Long Island, it's about Levittown in uh, Pennsylvania, but uh, it, it goes through basically a, a family's journey uh, to, and so this is one of the more shocking stories. I'll, I'll give you two that come to mind for me. One is this family that wanted to move into a home in Levittown and, and essentially had to get another family to sell to them sort of discreetly because of the, the restrictions right. that were there they, their home was bombed on multiple occasions. I mean, bombed. This is America. This is not yeah. a, this is not, you know, America in the civil war. It's not, I mean, right. it's, it's it, it literally, I mean, just, just horrific. I can't even, and they're, you know, they have children. I mean, I just can't, it just, as a parent, it just like, I, I it may be so uh, viscerally angry to think that this kind of thing yep. would happen to anyone. And then, you know, to read up and realize that, that's kind of not that bad compared to some of the more horrible things that were done to others elsewhere over time. It's just, it's unbelievable. But I recommend that book Levittown because it's such a first person, 
personalized account that yep. really makes you understand the people behind this. It's not statistics. It's not law. It's not litigation. It's not, you know, news. it really, it really brings it home in, in some really disturbing ways at how people had to stick it out and, and in, in ways that they had to risk their lives, the lives and, and mental well-being of their family members just to live in a home. And if you hear the story, it's, I mean, it's, it was truly just to live in a home that was like a decent place to live that was not too far from work. I mean, it was the most right. basic thing. That Middle America. Right. It was just, it was amazing. The, uh, one of the things that was the most disturbing to me, and, and really it brought to light things I just, I just didn't know. And I feel like everyone should know this. And it's um, in the color of law, there, there's one tale of one particular development that uh, that a developer wanted to build, and they were not going to place uh, racist deed restrictions in it. In other words, they were not going to say this is just for black families or this is just yeah. for basically non-black families, basically anybody but black or Jewish people is essentially what a lot of the deed restrictions were. Um, but they didn't want to do that. They wanted to just make it. They weren't making a statement. It wasn't a it wasn't a political or social. They basically just wanted to make a development and sell it to whomever could buy it. Right. And they lined up the financing. They had an insurance, large insurance company that, that was willing to back the financing, which is something that life insurance companies especially do uh, back a lot of these developers. They did back then, they do today. And uh, they had everything lined up. The, the administration, the, the sort of precursor to today's federal government uh, entities uh, around housing, had already been directed by Congress to stop discriminating in housing. Uh, the, it, been, it was very clear, could not have been more clear what their mandate was. But they, the administrator at the time, sent a you know, memo around to everyone saying, we're going to ignore Congress and we're going to continue to enforce uh, racism in all its many forms, including refusing to finance any properties that don't have racist deed restrictions. They found out about this developer uh, developing this property. They were not seeking government financing, but they contacted the, this is the government contacted the insurance company to tell them they're not going to ensure any of their deals in the future if they provide financing to this developer. So this is not a, a you know, people didn't go out of their way to be helpful. This is people going out of their way to nefariously attack yep. others who are not as racist as they are. I yeah. mean, it's just, it's just mind blowing to me. Uh, yeah. I did not know that. I mean, I, th I thought I knew these, I did, I had no idea how, how deeply systemic uh, it was and, and in some cases it is. I remember reading that story because that was the first book that I had I read. And, and I remember being so viably angry. It actually took me, there were times where I'd read a, a small story, a couple pages. I had to put the book away because yeah. I was so angry with what yeah. I was reading. I couldn't keep going, uh, keep going on. And, you know, you hit the nail on the head. You know, we hear the phrase systemic racism used a lot in, in the dialogue today. This book and that story specifically shows this just wasn't a couple of people that like, didn't like a certain race or whatever. I mean, this was deep rooted, you know, through, you know, uh, you know, the, the federal government and, and yep. the local guys, the government insurance. I mean, it was all over the place um, when it comes to that. I know for me, I thought one of the, the big things that I remember reading was the whole concept of panic selling, where realtors yep. would actually go into neighborhoods, somebody of a different race would move in and they would say, okay, um, you know, your, your, um, uh, the, the, the property value has quote unquote gone down because now it's not all white communities. Somebody of a different yep. race has come in when that wasn't the case at all. They lied, mm -hmm. you know, now this was 50 years ago. So house might've been worth $10,000. They said it was uh, now only worth 5,000, but you know what? We'll give it to you for 6,000. We'll take mm -hmm. this off your hands. We'll take the property. And then they turn around and they would sell it to someone of a different race who was yeah. willing to pay more. <laughs> 
because they were so desperate for housing because they couldn't find anything and they would sell it for a profit to these people basically willing to gouge them and the whole concept of panic selling was to tell people that house values had gone down when really they had actually gone up because people of a different race were willing to pay more because there was such a scarcity for good housing yeah that that concept often referred to as blockbusting uh, was was quite prevalent in that that secondary sale so this is another thing you bring up an excellent point this is another thing that was a surprise to me i did not i i had never contemplated the fact that i I had realized that people of of a of a a non-favored race or religion were oftentimes charged more for mortgages or didn't have favorable terms i had heard about that i understood that what i did not realize is how much more they were oftentimes forced to pay for the very same house because of the limited supply of non-deed restricted properties and there are some some tales of this of, of paying sometimes 50 or 75% more for a house. Now, in today's terms, that means paying like $200,000 more for the exact same house because one buyer is black and another buyer is white. Uh, and it would be because of some of those those tactics that you just mentioned, which is, uh, it was shocking to me. And uh, you know, one, one other uh, book I'll recommend that isn't on point to this, and it's, and it's an epic, an epic uh, book, but The Power Broker about Robert Moses in New York City breaks down some of the detail of how certain highways were placed um, or uh, eminent yes. domain utilized when it seemed as though certain neighborhoods uh, were starting to thrive uh, in the Black community and, and there were uh, businesses that were owned by and patronized by Black residents um, in ways that felt like it jeopardized uh, the non-Black residents' uh, potential income if they were also selling similar goods or operating similar services. Uh, and suddenly eminent domain would come in and, and entire blocks would be would be raised and highways placed or in one tragic case outside of not in New York, but another area, uh, they literally a black doctor had uh, acquired a, a property and started to build a house and they used eminent domain to acquire just his yard and turn it into a park, um, just his yard and turn it into a park. Uh, I just uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, I know there are many people listening to this who would probably say. Yes, we knew that. And I'm surprised you didn't know that. Um, and, you know, shame on you for not knowing. And I, I agree. Shame on me. I mean, I, that's part of the, the journey I'm on. And, and part of what we want to do is change that. Agreed. And that, that's the same journey I feel like I'm trying to get on to. I absolutely agree with you. Now, a lot of people might also say, well, you know, Ryan and Jason, that was that was 50, 75, 100 years ago. It's 2022. Clearly, it cannot be uh, as bad in 2022. And so my question is, do you think we've made significant process uh, progress in fair housing in 2022? Or do you think there's a lot more that still needs to be done? I mean, it's. I think both of those statements are true. Clearly, tremendous progress has been made on many different fronts. Uh, and and I, I, you know, for instance, homes are not being bombed today. Uh, right. People are not being charged twice the amount of money. I mean, heck, we have a congressional investigation into appraisal tactics today because there is a problem, but also because we're trying to take the problem seriously. So th- those right. things are, those things are good and powerful. However, a, a fact that just makes people fall out of their chair, or candidly, a lot of people say, I just don't believe you. Uh, is when I share that the home ownership rate of African Americans today is at or slightly below the home ownership rate when the Fair Housing Act of 1968 was passed, which is it's mind blowing to people, and 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 there's a lot of reasons for it, and there's a lot of things we need to do about it. But it is it, it, people just don't believe it, frankly. Uh, they think there's something wrong with the statistic. How could that possibly be the case? Uh, but frankly, it is, and it is about a. Th- 
40% lower than uh, the home ownership rate for uh, you know Caucasians uh, in 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 America, and significantly lower than than Asian Americans, and um, lower than Hispanic Americans. Though the Hispanic uh, buyers today are, while while gains have been made, are are uh, are also far below the home ownership rate uh, by and large, and are oftentimes paying significantly higher mortgage rates uh, as a result as well. These things, you know, are are not accidental or coincidental. Agreed. And I remember the first time I heard that statistic about the, the home buying rates uh, of African-Americans now as compared to back then. I, it blew my mind. I was like, that, they, I had that same exact reaction. I was like, this doesn't sound right. Like, mm. did we screw up the study or something? Like, I couldn't believe that that's where it was at. Um, so let me ask you this. What do you think we can do, um, not just pe- uh, people in you know power within the local or the state or the federal government, but people who want to promote fair housing and to see things get better, what can we be doing to, to promote fair housing in 2022? I mean, part of what you're doing today is simply awareness, uh, raising awareness and, and encouraging people to uh, be involved, be engaged and be part of a solution uh, is, is huge. Uh, people can vote. Uh, and when people vote, they're hopefully making uh, certain issues that matter to them a priority for the elected officials that they're, that they're voting for. Uh, when, People get involved with those elected officials when they attend local township events. I mean, asking questions about how certain certain things that are, are being approved are going to impact certain communities uh, might be uncomfortable conversations, but the lack of those conversations is part of why we are where we are. The larger scale, we have things like Coal Bankers Inclusive Ownership Program, because I personally believe that like you personally and your peers, you know, real estate agents around the country are some of the best suited to be able to make a real impact because you are a subject matter expert. You are an expert on the market. You're an expert on how to get people into homes that are that that work for them, work for, for their families, how to make sure that they're connected with the right financing sources, that they can evaluate their options in a way that's that's fair and equitable and, and they can they can weigh what it, what it's going to take to become a homeowner. There is a massive amount of misinformation. For instance, so many people today, especially if you're not in a family today, you didn't grow up in a household that owns their own home. Oftentimes the misinformation is even more significant. You didn't learn it you know, through osmosis. Many people today think you need a, a 700 plus score, yep. uh, a FICO score. They think you need 20 to 25% cash down. They think yep. you need no, no blemishes on your credit that you need. All of these things are just simply not true. And the fact is many populations that are coming from, from you know, communities or families that have high ownership rates, they, they may not know the truth about those things either, but they knew who to ask. They are surrounded by individuals, including real estate agents or members of the you know, larger community or family who they can connect with to learn those answers. And I think our inclusive ownership program specifically designed to invite in or create brokers who are serving historically underserved communities, equip them with all the value that Cole Banker has to offer so that they can equip their communities and those they serve with the information and the products and the services and tools they need to massively increase the home ownership rate uh, of the communities they serve. And that's a, that's a really significant firsthand thing that, uh, that, that we can do, but it's all, it all starts with, with awareness uh, so that we understand that the needle has not moved. Uh, generational wealth is a real thing. Yes. Um, and it's, it's, it's easier to perpetuate than it is to start. Uh, many of us are benefiting from that perpetuation. Uh, you know, I didn't grow up rich, but I grew up in a home that was owned by my family. Uh, and yep. and that, that's a pretty significant impact. Now, like my father, for instance, has benefited from the home appreciation that he's enjoyed. And the single biggest wealth creator in this country, this isn't it's just a self-serving comment, the single biggest wealth creator for families in the United States 
is the appreciation and the value of home. That was true before the most recent increase yep. in home prices, and it's only even more so today. Yes. So the two families that live next door, one rented, one bought, there may be a quarter million dollars worth of wealth that has been created for the family that owned their own home versus the one that didn't. And that is multiple educations. If you go to state school, that is yes. seed money to get a family started. That's seed yes. money to get a business started. That's uh, that's 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 uh, very difficult to replicate. Yeah. I, well, and and the whole concept of wealth building, generational wealth, and um, you know, having your home to be able to to support that within your your family wealth building and changing the the wealth structure for future generations is a whole separate passion of mine that I could spend a whole nother podcast episode <laughs> talking about. So I will just say simply that yes, I agree with you. Um, I know we only have a few more minutes left, so um, I think the final question I, I want to ask because I know you've already mentioned about what Cobalt Banker is doing to promote fair housing, so I think. My final question is, um, what, where, where would you like to see fair housing in 10 years? I know that's a big question to answer in 90 yeah. seconds. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the, 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 there's an ultimate report card, and that is, I, I think, it, I don't want to overly emphasize just uh, the Black home ownership rate in this country, but right. it's, it's worthy uh, because we, as a nation, overemphasized uh, prohibiting Black home ownership for, for a long time. So it's worthy of overemphasis today, but that is kind of the ultimate report card. I'd say home ownership in general across the board, and, and it, it impacts whether it's you know, Hispanic families, Asian families, LGBTQ plus families, it impacts everyone. The discrimination is very real and evidence just stacks up by the day. Right. But if there were one report card that I'd say, you know, 10 years from now, if we have materially moved the Black home ownership rate in this country, then we have done more for a group that candidly we as an as a nation and industry have done more against for many years uh and i think that's that to me is the ultimate report card so when people ask me about the inclusive ownership program what what, what number of affiliates do you want to bring in what number of agents do you want to bring in how do you want to change things th there are interim milestones but the ultimate report card is that home ownership rate i believe that home ownership is a net and pure good i understand yeah. some people debate that i don't uh, and if it is a net and pure good, then it should be widely dispersed and widely enjoyed. Agreed. 100% uh, agreed with you. Uh, Ryan, we cannot thank you uh, enough for, for coming on to the podcast today. We so greatly appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. Before I turn it back over to Lou, do you have any final thoughts? I, I appreciate you doing this. I appreciate the passion around this. I appreciate the allyship toward it. And whether it's uh, you and Milo in, in, in your, your office and in your community every day, or it's people lifting up a message and trying to drive the change that they want to see in the world, uh, you know, across the, the country and, and around the world. I mean, that's, it all starts with this, right? I think uh, I'll butcher the quote, but the concept of, um, you know, a small group of uh, determined people can change the world. Indeed, nothing but that ever has. I mean, that's, that's really powerful. And, and I just want to appreciate you uh, for prioritizing this. And hopefully this will spark some conversations some comments, some action uh, well beyond, uh, you know, just those who, who listen to the podcast. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Ryan. And my final thought is this, um, you know, my passion stemmed from hearing you speak about it and encouraging to study and research and educate yourself. So I'll just leave you with this. Um, if you're out there wondering what books to read and what to study upon, that's, I think, really where it started for me. And I think it's a great starting point. So I know you've sent me uh, via email a bunch of great books to read. I've already read some of them. I'm working. I'm actually just started last night, Levittown. So okay. anybody who's listening that wants a, 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 a slew or an onslaught of books to read, reach out to me. I'll be happy to kind of give you that list of great, non non-fictional, well-researched, um, you know, educational books that you can read to really get a better understanding of fair housing in America. Uh, Ryan, again, thank you so much uh, and uh, for being on. And uh, at this time, I'll turn it back over to Lou to wrap up the episode. 
All right. Once again, Ryan Gorman, everyone, from Coldwell Banker, the uh, CEO. Uh, uh, much thanks to Ryan for coming on and giving us this uh, really uh, enlightening discussion. Uh, as I always end the podcast with uh, Jason wants to be your real estate advisor, whether you're thinking about that move coming up in six months or maybe even maybe 18 months, maybe you're not quite sure you're kicking around the idea. You need to know kind of what you need to get set up. Jason is your man. You can reach out to Jason at 412-651-4638. Uh, he takes phone calls and texts at that number, or you may also email Jason at jason.wilcox at pittsburghmoves.com. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks to Ryan Gorman for being here. You guys have a great week. We'll catch you all on the next Really Real Real Estate Podcast. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.